0: Part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at stone dashstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. This morning, if you would uh turn open your Bibles to James chapter three. We we're going through kind of methodically through James. And uh it at first it kinda of seems like James is kinda of jumping all over the place. Uh uh it reminds me of sometimes uh Some children, or sometimes myself, that start one discussion, then all of a sudden there's another discussion, another discussion. You know, those people that just kind of, they're like a pinball and they're all over the place. Well, if you're not careful, it kind of seems that way with James, that he's just talking about all these different things. But I pray that by the end that we really do see that he's really keeping very linear in his thinking. It all centers around what real saving faith looks like. Not just faith, but real saving faith. And so when he was talking about how do you approach life when trials come, when he said, consider it all joy. How do you do that when you've just lost a loved one? How do you do that when you, there's some stress in the marriage? How do you do that when your children are kind of going a little bit rebellious or you know, going through tough times? How do you consider it all joy? He's saying, okay, he's not saying that, okay, this is going to be easy. He just says, man, real faith is going to come back and know that God is not wasting this to mature you and grow you. Then we looked at temptation he talks about how real faith approaches temptation. When we looked even last week about how we use the tongue, how we speak words, he said, real faith speaks life. And he continues this morning as he talks about wisdom. He's already talked about wisdom in chapter 1. He comes back. James seems to kind of introduce things in chapter 1 and then comes back and kind of develops them a little bit later on in his message. How many of you uh, have watched at least one episode Uh, Of CSI or some show like that before. I mean, I think they've made it into 40 different CSIs now all over the world. And it's one of those things that's kind of intriguing. Uh, I I really believe uh, that my daughter and we like that as a family and and maybe her pursuit of criminology is because of some of those, you know, fascinations that we had early on with CSI and just, you know, the investigative method and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I say that this morning because. This is really the approach that James takes. He kind of does a CSI kind of approach this morning that he goes to this scene and he examines the evidence and he comes out with a conclusion. He does this as a matter of wisdom. He begins to look at all the different things that are going on and he goes back and he begins to say, okay, when I put all the evidence together, here's the conclusions that I've made. So I pray that at the end of this time, about 30 minutes from now, when we've covered these five or six different verses, that we would be able to say with kind of that investigative you know, assurance that, okay, we looked at the evidence, we saw what James was saying, and not only is this the truth of what he said, but here's how it applies to my life. Isn't it amazing that when we get out that that kind of a magnifying glass like they use oftentimes in a scene like that to to, to uncover the evidence. Isn't it amazing how much we like to use the magnifying glass looking out? I mean, it's just one of those amazing things. Man, I see this in your life, and man, I see this in your life, and we can see with such crystal clarity into the lives of others, or at least we think we can. But man, when we turn that magnifying class around and we begin to examine our own heart and our own life, see, that's what the Word of God has promised that He would do for you. That if you get the Word, you can be in the worst mood ever, but if you get the Word, the Word is not going to come back without some value in your life, without making an impact in your life. And one of the things that the Bible says about the Word of God, why He's given us the written Word, and not just the spoken Word, but the written Word, And so that we can do this examination in life, he says, it it kind of shines light down into the places that are crevices in darkness. Guys, we all have dark places in our lives. We all have that place, kind of like a house. You have that one place. Oh, yes, this is our bedroom. Okay, this is our living room. Oh, this is the kitchen. What's over here? Oh, don't open that door. (laughs) That's where we stick all the stuff when we're trying to clean up these rooms and we put all that into this room. And everybody has one of those rooms. Well, you know, almost everybody has that part of their life too. Man, this is what I did Sunday and this is how I helped out somebody on Tuesday and this is what I did on Thursday night. Well, what happened right there? Oh, don't ask me of that. That's where I stick all the junk of my life. And I close the door and I'm the only one that knows the password to that door. Well, the Word of God opens up that door. It begins to shed light into that place that we try to hide from everybody else in the world, but get this, we even try to hide it from ourselves. And here's the great thing about a God who loves you so much. He says, I, mean, I love you so much that even though you try to close that door, you try to hide it even from yourself, I will open it. Why? So I can embarrass you because I can make you feel guilty? No, because I love you. And I've got an answer for that. That's the love of the God that we serve, guys. It's not a God that says, okay, I just want you to stand there naked before everybody and all this sin and all this junk and all this dirt. No, the God that says, I love you so much that, man, through Christ I can clean you up and I can show you a new way to live. Well, as we approach this whole area of wisdom, again, if you remember back in James chapter 1, verse 5, he asks a question. He says, uh, basically, my, my version there, he says, do you need wisdom? And we discussed several weeks ago when we were looking at James 1 and 5 that the way that he wrote that in a lot of Hebraic Jewish people would write. It was just kind of a literary form. They would write questions that they already knew the answer to. And so they would write this question and when he wrote that question, who needs some wisdom? James was assuming that everybody in the room would say, oh me, oh me. But he does it again. As he opens up this area of wisdom again in chapter 3, he he starts with another question. Look at it, James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, when we read that from a kind of an American mindset, we would say, uh, some of us maybe would raise our hand, but not many of us. Who is wise and understanding? Not me. I'm not wise. I'm not real smart. But that's not really all. That's not the form that he's writing. Trust me on this. That coming from a Jewish perspective, writing from a Jewish literary style, he's assuming that everybody in the whole crowd that he's writing to says yes to this. Not that it's the right kind of ris- wisdom because he's going to tell us about two different kinds of wisdom. But he's saying that he's being very inclusive in this question: who operates under some form of understanding or some method of Wisdom, And his answer to this, the implied answer when he writes this, is everyone. You're going, I I don't know. I I don't really consider myself wise, Pastor. No. Do you consider yourself a fool? Do you seek foolishness? See, I've I've met a lot of people that acted foolish, but I don't know that I've ever met anybody in my life that said, you know, I'm just proud of my foolishness, and uh, one day I aspire to be the town fool. Oh, forget that. I want to be the fool of the country. And maybe if I'm just working hard at it, I can be the fool of the world. You don't see people pursuing foolishness. We see a lot of foolish actions. We see a lot of people who are foolish in the way that they live their lives. We would be the first ones to agree that there are foolish things and wise things. But nobody really pursues foolishness purposely. And that's what James is saying. But who is wise and understanding among you? Everybody, he said, everybody operates under some form of why they think this is right, even if it is so wrong. Let me give you an example. You, you pursue this because you just want pleasure in your life. Well, it may not be a godly thing, but you're operating under a kind of wisdom that says, okay, if I do this action, it will give me pleasure. God is not going to say, okay, that's okay. He's not going to say that this is godly wisdom. He says, you're operating some method. You have an M.O. kind of going on in your mind that you think if you do this, it will result in that. that that's the question. Who, who is wise and understanding? Who really kind of, kind of operates with a, a motive in life? He says everyone. And so he's very inclusive. And then he gets exclusive. He takes this whole room of people, and then basically, everybody who's reading this, he says, now guys, I'm going to divide you into two groups. He says, part of that group is going to be pursuing godly wisdom. The other part, you're operating under wisdom. What you think is wisdom, but it's earthly wisdom. And as we begin to see that develop, I really think that's the key to understanding this passage. That we understand that James is starting out inclusive of everyone so that everybody's looking, hey, yeah, I I operate under some form of wisdom, either an earthly wisdom or a heavenly wisdom. And and then he begins to explain this earthly wisdom and this heavenly wisdom, and it begins to separate the room. Now, this morning, I don't know which of you are going to end up in the the heavenly wisdom side and who's going to end up on the earthly wisdom side. But imagine that all of us have traveled on both sides. I would hope that as we read the Word of God that there's been times that we've seen the wisdom of God and we've pursued that and we've acted upon it. But would you not be the first one this morning to agree that we have all acted under earthly wisdom? You know, we're going to see some of that a little bit later on. We see it demonstrated in our lives every single day. Uh, The question this morning is really, what group are you in? Are you operating your life under heavenly wisdom? Are you operating your life under earthly wisdom? The Bible says everybody in the room is going to be on one of those two sides. You're going to fall somewhere in there. The question is, where do I fall? Am I one of those people that just kind of takes the rules of the world, the ways of the world, and I kind of operate by that motive in my life? Or do I take the things of God, even the hard things of God, And by faith, I operate under that. See, the rules of the world says, man, if that's your enemy, (laughs) get him. (laughs) I mean, doesn't it say that? And Christ throws in this heavenly wisdom. So you pray for your enemy. They slap you on one side of the cheek, turn the other cheek. Now, guys, there would be many. My dad would have said, that's foolish, son. Hit them before they hit you. And there's a worldly... Would you not agree that there's a a sense that goes, okay, if I know I'm going to get hit, hit them before they hit me. There's a part of that that seems logical, and yet it's not biblical. And and that's what James is trying to say. Okay, everybody's going to operate under some kind of thinking process that makes sense to them. But it doesn't... All of that doesn't reflect biblical truth. And so he sets up kind of two tests, just like a... You would do in CSI, you know, you, you get this test. And what are they testing? They're going to test two things, the source of wisdom and the substance of wisdom. And this is where his CSI skills kind of come in for James. Long before CSI ever made it on, James was kind of practicing in this kind of mode of discovery. And before he gets to the source of wisdom, he's going to talk about the substance of wisdom. He's going to examine it and says, Okay, what looks like this? So look at verse thirteen and fourteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He said, One wisdom kind of looks like this. It, it's, it's meek. It's not the fort, it's not the, the loudest guy in the room. It's, it's a wisdom, but it's kind of a meek wisdom. And then he goes on in verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfless ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He begins to describe the substance of of another kind of wisdom. He says it's kind of based on self. The division that he makes here in that orientation is sometimes, guys, it's going to be all about me. He says, but real wisdom makes it all about God. For those who have traveled with Christ for a while, a month, a year, 20 years, 40 years, you've walked with Christ. Don't you still feel that tension? Those days when really the wisdom that you're exerting has made it all about you. And those other days that you really did it right and you made it all about God. Don't you feel that tension? Don't you feel like, you know, how many of you feel like, you know, fence straddlers in life? Because we kind of go back and forth. It's like, okay, we know we need to make it all about God. And yet, when that person cuts you off in traffic or when that your spouse said something that just kind of, you know, works the other way. Or that person in the office got the raise because they were arrogantly pursuing that. They made it all about themselves and they they end up getting the the raise and, and, and you don't really hard in those days not to make it all about yourself. It's really hard in those times going, okay, God, I tried to do it the right way and look where I am now. That's where James' real faith comes in. He says, do you really believe the promises of God? Do you really believe that all these things that God says that are true, even if the current situation doesn't seem to be turning out? Isn't that what faith is, guys? It's not trusting so much for the outcome today, but the outcome for eternity. I mean, isn't that the challenge? Would it really be faith that every time you trusted God, the immediate, the reaction was immediate. It was an immediate blessing. You wouldn't even need, man, it'd be like going to the bank and having this card said, take as much money as you want. You go in the first time and you're going, I don't know if this card, you know, Jason gives me this card and says, hey, you you can go down this bank and you can get as much money as you want. There's not a card like that. So, no, I promise you it is. I go in the first time so say, you know, I'll be a real, little reserved. I'll, I'll take $20. But the big smile of the girl says, here's your $20. Have a good day. Well, I'm going back tomorrow, if not right after lunch. I go, you know, I, I really need $50. Well, here's your $50. Have a nice day. I mean, are you going to keep on coming back? when the immediate return is right there and kind of incrementally kind of adjust that so that maybe by the end of the week, you know, I really need $10,000. Well, here's your $10,000. Have a good day. That doesn't take faith, guys. And if God operated that way where we just come and said, okay, God, here's what I need and he gave it to us immediately, would that really require faith? The biggest strain on our life of faith, that there's a distance sometimes between the asking and the believing and the getting. And some of that may not even be realized in this world. I I don't know what percentage I would put on this, but I would imagine that most of the promises that we have in Christ Jesus are not for this world. Would you agree with that? That most of them are for the eternal. That most of the promises that God has for us will be realized when we stand before Holy God one day. And then we'll know, man, he really did wash away every sin. Because right now I can sing a song about victory in Jesus and how he washed away every sin. But have you ever dealt with guilt in your life? Even after you confessed it and professed it to God, and yet you still kind of felt a little bit of that stain? See, that promise that he has washed away every sin and every stain of that sin, I don't know that we will realize the fullness of that until we stand before holy God one day and we stand there And in that robe of righteousness that has been provided for Jesus Christ, when we see the holiness of God and we see that we are now robed in righteousness, we're going, man, he really did wash away every sin. But that's where faith comes in, guys. That's the challenge of faith. It's not immediate. It's the same for wisdom. He says there's two types of wisdom here. He said one operates in verse 13, meekness of wisdom. In verse 14, he says bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He's kind of drawn that line. He says these are two different kinds. The meekness that he talks about is another word for that in the Greek that could just as easily be translated, gentleness. And meekness is not usually what you and I think of. When we think of meekness, we almost immediately tie weakness with meekness. And that's why we go, okay, hit them before they hit you. Hey, nobody else is going to toot my horn. I've got to toot my own horn. And when you start believing some of those lies about how to operate life in this world, well, James comes out and he says, man, you want to have real wisdom? Real wisdom is, is really one of the characteristics, is meekness. And that word meekness in the Greek is an illustration of a stallion, this big horse that has been broken and now can be ridden. He is just as strong as he was before. But now he has strength, power under control. That's the word maintenance. Greatest example, Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ ever lose his power when he walked on this earth? No. He put some self-restraint. He, there was some self-limitations. What well, The theologi- theologians call self-limitations on things. He, he sweat just like you and I did. He got hungry just like you and I did. He didn't need to do those, but he, he kind of put himself into this body of flesh and he felt the things that we feel. But he never lost the power. He self-limited sometimes, but he never lost the power. He was still fully God, even though he was fully man. And yet he was totally meek. So what does it mean to have a relationship um, uh, this relationship of meekness and wisdom it means probably that you're not the loudest voice in the room, it means that you're not the one trying to push your own agenda, it means you're not the one who always points everything back to self. Think of the most godly person that you know, godly and wise. Most godly, wise person you know, were they the loudest voice in the room? Were they always pointing back to self? Did they make much of themselves? Are in that quiet strength, in that quiet wisdom? When they spoke, did everybody start to listen? That's what James is talking about. This guy is not the this guy with with godly wisdom is not the loudest guy in the room. He's not the one saying, "Okay, everybody, shh, so I can tell you what you need to know." He's the guy in the room that when he does start to speak, people start to listen. When we begin to see this happen, we, uh, we begin to understand uh, more and more about the opposite side of that. This, this this other wisdom that he says is all about selfish ambition and all about jealousy. I'm trying to be non-political, but it, it just is, to me, a good illustration. I think the, the elections over the last... 12, 16 years are characteristic of this other kind of wisdom, not a godly wisdom, a a wisdom of, okay, you know, it's all about me. Here's what I can promise to do. No substance. Not talking about how I'm going to solve this or that, but just kind of make it either all about what they can do, kind of briefly. But mostly, mostly what do they talk about? How bad the other person is. (laughs) They talk about, okay, I'm, I'm the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Think just back to the Republican convention a couple weeks ago. I am the only one that can solve this problem. That actually came out of the candidate's mouth. I'm not for or against. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to show you just the human mindset. And yet so much of this campaign will be following like the campaigns of the past that 90% of it will be negative campaigning. I don't know about you, but I'm completely tired of it. But listen, guys, why do they keep on doing it then? If everybody feels the same way that you do and everybody's tired of it, why do they keep on doing it? Because statistics show that it is effective. Now, is that godly wisdom? No, it's the world's wisdom. Man, avoid the issues. Don't talk about the issues. Don't have to come up with the plan. Just talk about how bad this other person is. Folks, that is not Republican or Democrat. That is human. Okay? It's it's happening on both sides. So I'm not making a political statement. I'm making a human statement. But it just happens to kind of illustrate what James is talking about. And we can be the exact same way. In our marriage, we can be that way. You know, avoid, you know, shift and move. It it can happen all the time. Again, have you ever heard that term before? Do it to them before they do it to you? Would you agree? Would you agree that there is a certain amount of wisdom in that? kind of a street-smart wisdom. Would you agree that on, on a street-smart sense that there's a wisdom in that? I would. I, I could hear my dad, I don't know that he said those words, but I can hear my dad, you know, saying something like that because my dad was a street-smart kind of guy. Okay, son, there's going to be some fights in life. And, if there's gonna be, and inevitably, if there's going to be a fight, you just say, remember this hit them before they hit you I can see my dad saying that now folks is that godly wisdom no it's an earthly wisdom but what James is trying to say there's a sense of that that makes sense that's why we buy into it when God says something that conflicts with that that's when we're going you know I don't hey Bobby that's just not that sounds good and it's all peaceful but that's not how the world operates that's James argument Are you going to live by the way that the world operates or the way that heaven operates? And the choice is yours, and the choice is mine. Even as a Christian, we are not guaranteed that we're always going to think like God. There are going to be a lot of times that human wisdom, and James really loosely attaches that word human and wisdom kind of together, but he said that human thinking, that human reasoning, he said we're just as susceptible to that as Christians as non-Christians that we can kind of get into that thinking. See, here's the thing. On Sunday morning, we can get in this cocoon called church and go, man, I just wanted to thank heavenly this morning. I just want to think with godly wisdom. Then you go back in a workplace. Have you ever worked in a real rat race kind of place at work? I mean, it truly was. Every man for himself. And it truly was. Dog eat dog. If you've ever worked in a situation like that, where there wasn't this team spirit and family spirit, but it was really this dog-eat-dog kind of environment. You know what you end up finding out about yourself? You're kind of a big dog yourself. I mean, the dog starts kind of biting on your tail a couple times. You find out, man, i got a little bit of bark to come right back. I, I mean, anybody realize that about themselves? That's what James is saying. He's not trying to affirm earthly wisdom. He's just simply saying, guys... You have to find. You have to decide what kind of wisdom are you going to follow, James three fifteen. When he's talking about this kind of wisdom that is ambitious, putting self in the center and, and jealous, he said this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. He says even demonic. He says now that doesn't mean that that demons come up and make you do it. This is not well. I wanted to go over there and hug the guy, but I ended up strangling him because the devil made me do it. You know, we, we don't have that defense. What he means is it's that kind of demonic where it's just anti-God. Doesn't mean that a little demon, you know, three stooges, you know, angel over here, demon over here. Doesn't mean that we're always sitting here and there's a little angel and a little demon trying to kind of convince us, but it does mean that there's a spiritual war going on. That even though you're a Christian, you are still in the midst of a spiritual warfare. And this warfare is the things of God and the things of man going back and forth. And let's be real honest this morning. All of us, everyone in here, has a pull to that kind of wisdom. Man, if I don't look out for myself, nobody else is looking out for me how easy that is to creep into our mind and and start to, to kind of dictate some of our behavior. And that's where James is coming back and he says, man, you know even if that's the rules of the world and that's the wisdom of the world, he said, that is not to be a part of your life. He says, I want you to take this meek approach. I just don't know about meekness. If you want to be a Christ follower, meekness should be one of the things that you aspire to. Greatest example of is ever, Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 3. The, the whole chapter of Philippians 2, but in Philippians 2, 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition and, and conceit. Okay, this is Paul writing, James is writing, and he's almost using the same words, the selfish ambition. He said, That's the heart of what makes you operate that way. Paul comes back and says, do nothing from this kind of motivation. He says, we all have this motivation in there. It's all a part of our heart, but we want to kind of slay this part of our heart. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How many of you would agree with that statement? How many have ever struggled with living that out. There we go. That's what James is talking about. So he's not just saying, okay, all the people over here, you're just really godly, wise people over here. Man, y'all are just, you know, worldly, you know, self-centered people. No, he says, man, this is a struggle for Christian and non-Christian. One thing that I think James would readily agree with is that the non-Christian cannot think the of God, the, the thoughts of God, cannot have godly wisdom. It only comes by relationship with God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. So if you're not a Christian, you know, you're still kind of over here on this other side of the room. Not because you've been bad. We were all bad. Just some of us have found Christ. As followers of Christ, these are our marching orders. That right there is a a marching order. As you go off to school tomorrow, as you go off to work tomorrow, as you raise your family, as you interact with husband and wife, as you interact with parents and children, as you just do life, this is your marching orders. This is part of what God has said. This is how you think and live. But it's a challenge. And so we come back and we go, man, that's just a big task. And what does Paul, when he wrote this to the Philippians, what does he follow it up immediately with? The example of Christ. I, I, I don't think I put this on there, but uh, it's, let me just read from the Philippians, verses 5 through 8. Paul said, have this mind, this way of thinking, this way of kind of acting in life, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You can only have this if Christ is in your life. This is not something you can self-produce who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul goes at great lengths and said, man, you you, want to know what kind of actions, what kind of heart, what kind of way to react? He said, just follow Christ. (laughs) The one guy on earth that could say, I don't deserve this. The one guy who could ever walk this earth and say, I don't deserve this. And yet what he did, he took it upon himself. It says that he emptied himself. Even though he was equal with God, he didn't go around going, you can't do this to me. He emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. There's our example. So next time that you you feel this tug of war going on, going, yeah, this is what the word says. This is what God says. This is heavenly wisdom but man this is how the world operates you have to make a decision I have to make a decision will we operate by the world's rules or by the commandments of God that's the challenge this would be quite challenging if it was just upon your shoulders to do this here's the good news of the gospel the very spirit of God When we trust Christ as our Savior, the very Spirit of God, God Himself comes in and starts an invasion and a transformation and takes out the old Bobby that wanted to operate by the rules of the world and puts in a new incentive and says, Bobby, you know, love this way, live this way. Trust me in this. And that's the invitation that he makes to everyone. Uh, James 3.17, look what he says about the substance of this heavenly wisdom. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. How many of you, husbands and wives, would say that characterizes the way your marital interaction was last week? And it was pure, it was peaceful. Bobby pastor, it, it was just gentle. Man, I was open to reason, I was full of mercy, good fruits. I was impartial and I was sincere. That's hard, isn't it? He said, this is the heavenly... You know, he, he described the characteristics of, of this earthly wisdom. Now he says, and here's what heavenly wisdom looks. It looks a lot like what we saw in other places like Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because he said, okay, this is what I can give you. Here's, here's the challenge. You die to self so that I can live in you. Galatians 2.20, folks, that is our whole year's vision. Die to self so that he can live in us. And the only way that we're going to have heavenly wisdom in our lives... Is dying to self Because self says Hey this is how the world operates Here's the rules of the world And they make sense to me (laughs) I've seen them in action And the only way to say God I so trust your word That even though it doesn't make sense I'm fearful that if I turn the other cheek He's not just going to slap me He's just going to level me That's where the faith comes in Okay God I, I trust you in this I trust you in this I don't know that I even totally believe it, but I trust you because it's your word, and I move forward, and I act upon it. And that's really what he says there at the end. It's reflective of what Jesus said. Jesus told a story one time about a wise man and a foolish man, and they faced the same troubles in life, the same challenges in life, and Jesus defined the wise man from the foolish man by one declaration. This is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Listen to this story of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew about that house and it fell and great was its fall. He didn't say, man, this one had a lot of storms in life. This one had no storms. Hey, you come to the Christ side, all of a sudden your life is going to be a walk through the rose garden. No, he says the same storms, the same rain, same winds, the same difficulties in life came. He said there's only one difference between the wise man, the foolish man. It's not that they heard. They both heard the word of God. One acted, one didn't. One acted in faith, one didn't. That's what separates wisdom and foolishness. And that's what James has said the whole time. Isn't that been kind of the repeating theme of James? Isn't that what James says in James 1.22? Be ye doers the word, not hearers only. Deceiving who? Can we put that? I know I just skipped a whole bunch of verses, but we're ending up here. The very last one, James 1.22, 1, is that up there? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Because who are you deceiving? You may not be deceiving me. I might think, man, man, that Radley he is top shelf God, and he really is. <laughs> yeah. But there's things that Radley knows about Radley that Bobby doesn't know about Radley. Would I be correct? Yeah. And there's things that Bobby knows about Bobby that Radley doesn't know about Bobby. That's where James says, I "Man, you, you, everybody in the whole room may think that you're wise." But if you're not acting upon if you're not living this out, if you're not just, he said, man, you've you, you fooled maybe a lot of people, but deep down inside you can't fool yourself. Maybe you can fool yourself for a while, but you can't fool yourself permanently. So where would you fall in that division of the room if James was here this morning and said, okay, here, here's, you know, there's the people that are operating by the wisdom of the world and those that are operating by the wisdom of heaven. Where would you fall this morning? Well, here's the good news. Even if you would say, you know, Bobby, I've got to admit, if I'm really honest with myself, I cannot operate by the wisdom of the world. It is a dog-eat-dog world. And, and, Bobby, if you don't watch out for yourself, you're just nobody else is watching out for you. And I fall into that trap of just kind of putting myself in the middle rather than what it says here about, you know, just having the humility of Christ. Well, there's good news for you. And that is that God comes in and he starts... Not only does he change this heart, he begins to change the mind. And when the heart and the mind change, the actions change. If your marriage right now is one of those, it was not characteristic of, of what that you know, verse said, there's hope for you. The hope isn't that you become a better person by taking some classes. The hope is that the invasion of God's spirit in your life, that you just say, God, I, I, I confess this. I operate my marriage and even this marriage relationship with the one that I love. Man, when he said that, it just kind of ticked me off. And so I, I felt like I had to kind of go back at him. I didn't want to take the humble road. I didn't really have his interest or her interest. I had my interest. And that we begin to just follow the path of Christ. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But it's possible. Because that's the promise of God. God said, when I come into your life, I take out the old heart, I put in the new heart. When I put in the new heart, I start to transform you from the inside out. I can start making you think differently. When you think differently, you're going to act differently. When you act differently, you are going to be this person of wisdom that Jesus talked about. Your house, even though the rains come, the winds come, all the difficulties of life come, you're going to stand white. Because you build upon the rock of his word and his life. That's our hope. Let's pray together. Father God, we need wisdom. Father, we confess our need for wisdom. And Father, we pray this morning and we confess that uh, there are many times that we operate by the rules of the world, Father, because it, it, there's a part of it that just makes sense. Father, it makes sense to maybe hit first if we know we're going to be hit to look out for self when nobody else is looking out for self. Father, those things seem so naturally right, and yet your word declares that they are wrong and that Christ did not operate that way, but he believed by laying down his life in humility and meekness that one day you would raise him up. And, Father, that's exactly what we see in Philippians 2, that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. We're just a lot more impatient than Jesus And Father, we kind of want that reward now. We want to do the holy things, but we want kind of a reward now for that. And it is hard, Father, to keep some of those treasures and some of those things for eternity rather than getting that treasure and that reward now. So will you give us faith? Will you give us endurance? Will you give us the ability to say, I may, if I do the right thing, if I follow Christ, I may not get a payment today, tomorrow, next week, next year, or even in this lifetime. But one day I will be before my God and he will say, well done my good and faithful servant. Father, will will you let that be enough for us? Will you help us to act in faith and follow the mindset of Christ so that we can truly be wise people We love you and we thank you as we open up our hearts and our lives. Father, help us to uncover the evidence of where our heart is this morning. Help us to come running to you, Father, professing our need for you and for your forgiveness, your strength, and your wisdom as we pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.